My name is Kate the Socialite, and you're listening to episode 130 of The Kate Show. Today I'm speaking with somebody that a lot of you already know and love, and we are talking about something that you may have never thought about before. We're talking about how you can build an interior design business that you can sell. Because here's the deal. We talk and think and plan and strategize about how we will launch and grow our businesses, but there is a problem with that because eventually there's going to be a day where we don't want to do those things anymore. Sadly, the growing of a business might all be for naught on the day that we want to retire or change careers. Of course, right now you might be thinking, well, I'll just never retire, but you will. You're going to retire from one career to something else, or you're just going to retire completely. And what will you do with the business that you've built? Will you try to sell it only to realize you don't have any of the right systems or infrastructure in place to make it sellable? Will you let it fade into oblivion as though it never existed? Will you sell off your equipment, shut down your office, and just go on your way? Say it isn't so. If you want to sell your business eventually, and therefore actually walk away or walk into retirement with a nice payoff, you have to build your business the right way, right now. This heavy topic is not one that I could take on myself, and that's why I brought on today's special guest. She is my business coach. She is a fearless woman of faith and an entrepreneur with vast experience in the home industry. That's right. We're talking to the one and only Michelle Williams. So let's dive right into today's conversation about how to build a design business that you can sell. Now, keep in mind quickly also that if you are a stager, an organizer, or a workroom, all of these principles still apply to you and you should be building a business that you can sell later. All right. Now, for real, let's get into it. Marketing your interior design or home staging business should be easy and relational. My name is Kate the Socialite, and I believe in action, not just ideas. And I share strategies that have proven to work right here every week. If you're serious about growing your business in the home industry, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Kate Show. Hey guys, welcome back to The Kate Show. I'm here again with Michelle Williams, and if you guys have been listening to The Kate Show for a couple years, because yeah, I've been doing it that long, you guys heard Michelle's debut on The Kate Show. Of course, she does have her own podcast, and we're going to link to that in the show notes, but but Michelle, welcome back to The Kate Show. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. I always love spending time with you and having a good conversation. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, we get on our monthly calls together and we're just chatting it up like crazy. And the funny thing is, after all this time, we still haven't met in person. I know. Well, and COVID's not helping that. So we need to go away. It does. You still have a little one. So I am more than happy to hop on a plane and come see you. Oh, that'd be so awesome. I'd probably cry when I saw you because I'd just be like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Okay, so here's the deal. I make a promise. As soon as COVID is over and we're free to fly, I'm coming to see you. Oh, that would be absolutely incredible. So, well, before we get into all the things that we will we talk about if you came here in person, I know that everyone is here today because they want to hear about how on earth they can build a design business they can sell later. And just to give people an idea of why on earth we're talking about this, like I told you before we started recording, Michelle, I work with a lot of new interior design firms and the thought of transitioning away from this business they're working so hard to build right now doesn't even cross their mind. But I do think that it needs to. I'm, what's your take on that? Like, how soon is too soon to start preparing your business for sale? 
That is such a great question. And let me say this. I get it. I get why it could be difficult to change your mindset to think about selling when you're just building. I remember Kate being 21 years old, getting my very first full-time career, you know, type job at a software company. And on the very first day, they wanted me to fill out information for my retirement. And they wanted me to fill out the beneficiary if I died, like all this information. And I was like, that's are depressing me. And I remember calling my dad that night and going, what is up with this? Like, Michelle, you need to be prepared from day one. And that's what I would tell the designers. We need to be prepared for day one. So here's the cool thing, Kate. If we build our business to sell, it doesn't mean we have to sell. But what it means is it becomes sellable, something that we can sell. So I would say it's never too late to start, but the best time to start is the day you start um, mm. to create the company, like from the very beginning. Yeah. And oh, that's like, it's such a mind warping thing to think about, like even taking myself as example, like I've been in business for six years. So the thought of selling my business, it's like selling a child. You're like, what? Yeah. Why would I ever? But you're right. Someday we might actually want to do something else with our time. So that just makes sense. But before we get into all the questions, I do want to back up for a second. And can you just tell us a little bit about who you, Michelle, are serving these days? Because it's been a while since you've been on the show. And as any good business does, I mean, your business, your brand has evolved. And I would just love an update on that. Sure. So I am still serving the interior design community, which I see interior design as this big umbrella, right, that houses interior designers, decorators, workrooms, stagers, all of those that work to make our lives beautiful and functional. And so that is the industry that I have chosen to focus on. What I do with these designers and workrooms and people that reach out in this space is I help them build a scalable business. Now, the word scalable sometimes when we're thinking about it, especially in light of the conversation we're going to have today, some people automatically think scalable means bigger, 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 this huge firm outside of my home. And that is not what it means. Scaling um, simply means to grow. And so it might be to grow a deeper bench, like more people in your company. It may be growing wider with products and services, or it may just be growing in efficiency so that you can work less and make more. So I have... Over the years, this is my seventh going into my eighth year of coaching, having been in the industry for over 20 years, you know, I started off helping solve each individual problem. And what I realized early on was everybody, Kate, I think I've even had this conversation with you. The problems for the most part, if we're talking about the business, right, the problems are the same regardless of the size of your business. Um, the choices may be different, but the basic principles that we're all having to use and the decisions we're having to make are very, very similar. And so what I've done over the last probably two years is kind of codify that into a pathway or a methodology to work through. And I call it my aim with intent methodology. And it focuses on, for the most part, three areas, people, process, and profits. So who are the people in your team? Are they on the right, you know, in the right seat, doing the right things? What are the processes that need to get us from where we are to where we want to go? And what do the profits need to look like? And then the last part is with intent, which I'm you know, all about my making choices. So it's being very intentional about our growth. This is like the springboard for our conversation. And one of the questions I'm just going to kind of give it away and answer it in advance. We can't decide we're going to sell on Monday and sell on Tuesday. 
And so it's about building a business that is well-defined, well-cared for, and then having a plan to sell it, which means we better have people, process, and profits lined up properly. Mm, yeah. And the process and the profits part, I think, at least from all the designers I've spoken with, that's the two hardest parts. And once you get the people down, it's like, oh, okay, great. But you can have a process that eliminates the need for so many people. And you can have profitability that actually comes home with you instead of going out to all your employees if you don't need those employees. So it's like, oh, the strategy. And so how do most designers, at least ones that you've worked with over the years, how are they planning for retirement or are they even? So, you know, the, the truth is, I don't think they do. I think they want to. And I'm looking at the vast majority here, right? Some plan on retirement by hoping that their spouse is contributing and that it will be enough for both of them. Some are you know, making no plan at all. And then there are some that I work with that have 401ks, they have IRAs. So they're making financial plans for retirement. And they're also making retirement plans for their company to have a legacy that outlives them. I would say that's fewer and far between. So there are some that are wanting to keep the company, take a step back and maybe have somebody else run it and they're, they're still there for some time being. But the majority, Kate, I would say are just planning to turn the lights off. Mm. And that's so sad. And I've seen that happen more than a few times over the past couple of years where these bustling design firms go from having, you know, all these things in place and new websites, they've got projects coming in. And I just know this because they send us project photos to put on their website. And then all of a sudden they email me one day and say, we're done. We're just closing up. We're done. Yeah. And it makes me want to cry a little bit. And I don't know how they feel about it, but it's like, these businesses are like children, you know, like we raise them, we raise them to a certain point and to just close the doors, turn off the lights and walk away. It's like, what? So what sort of decisions do you think designers are making? Like what path are they taking that gets them to that point where they're just like, well, I guess I'm done. So everything's done. I mean, what, what mistakes are they making? And I ask that because I want to make sure that people listening know what mistakes to avoid. Sure. I'll tell you what I think the biggest mistake is. I think that one of the biggest mistakes is not having a strategic plan and not managing to the plan, mm. right? So it's not enough to have a plan if you don't manage to the plan. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is they are doing the business of the day. They're spending so much. And I, look, I have been caught in this. Well, I've done it. I still can get myself into this trap, even 20 years of knowledge and 10 years of corporate prior to that, you know, I'm dating myself here, but 30 years working and I can still find myself in the trap if I am not intentional about not doing it. And what that looks like is focusing so much on what is urgent and what is important and not enough on what is significant. Now, let, let me dive into that for just a second. We all know that when we focus on what is important, it might be, here's my to-do list of the things I need to do today. What is urgent is what's happening, you know, when there's a fire and you were trying to put out all the fires. But when we work primarily within the urgent and the important, it puts us on that proverbial hamster wheel that we all talk about wanting to get off of, right? Significant work is the work that we invest in today because it has a bigger payoff tomorrow. When we focus on the significant, it is the only thing that creates time down the line. Urgent and important is not going to create us more time, but focusing on something that is significant can. For example, 
Focusing on the significant is where we're working on the business, not in it. It's where we are creating a plan, we're creating metrics or KPIs, or we're investing in our people, or we're doing the things that cause us to have to stop and put a process in place. And see, what happens is we're so busy in the moment that we're thinking, let me just do it. I'll create the process later. So then it becomes urgent and important. Whereas if we had taken the extra few minutes or the extra hour and created the process, we can actually hand it off and not ever have to do it again. But we're not thinking that way. So we're in the reactive mode instead of what I call proactive or innovative mode, which is the significant. And so most companies, when they start, if they are not intentional about getting out of that mode, they will live and work in that space where their cortisol levels are high, their adrenaline's high, and it's fight or flight all day. And the business itself is not tended to like that baby. It's like not feeding your child, not bathing your child, not taking your child out for exercise. It's like they're not doing those things to and with their company. And then long-term, that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. So being stuck in that reactive mode, like that is me more often than it should be. And I know that a lot of my listeners are nodding their heads too, because it's almost emotional because we see the fires come up, think we have to deal with it right now. The truth is it does have to be dealt with, but hopefully it's dealt with by one of our team members because they have a process they follow to deal with those fires so we don't have to do it. So I see how all of this really right. comes full circle. And I know you touched a little bit earlier on the elements of a business that make it sellable so that people profit and process. Can you dive into just a little bit on each one of those to help us understand what you mean? Yeah. So these are going to be in no particular order. So I'm just going to go off the top of my head here. But one of the big things is having a company that is stable and that has KPIs or key performance indicators that we acknowledge and manage, right? So not just some that we have. In other words, we're going to be looking at things like, what are my total sales? What is my gross profit? We might be doing a profit first money management system, but we're looking at maybe sales. We're looking at the numbers that are driving the company, right? But that's not enough in and of itself. Some other things that make a company sellable. And let me, let me back up on that for a minute. The reason that's important is think about this. If you were to go in and buy your own company, what would you want to know or look at to be able to make the decision? Because that's what others are coming in to look at. So they're going to look at your sales. They want to see that it's trending up year over year, not that it's trending down. They want to see that it is profitable and that it is profitable in such a way that it could sustain your lifestyle and their lifestyle. So if you don't have your books and your finances pulled together with this type of information for somebody to see it and to recognize it, it that's going to be a flag for them. They're looking at the profit in the company after the owner is paid. This is huge. I cannot tell you how huge this is. If you are running a company that's a million dollars in sales, but the owner is making 30000 a year and you've got designers on staff or other people on staff making fifty, seventy thousand. that is not going to be a company that somebody's going to want to buy probably for the same valuation that you put on it because the owner's not making any money and they're killing themselves in the business. So you've got to be able to show how much time you put into the business, what the outcome is, and that you were paid and that there is a congruence with the type of lifestyle that you want to live and the company that you own. That is a big one, Kate, that gets people. Another thing they're looking at is, are there written processes and procedures? We talked about that. Can a new owner come in, pick up your playbook, if you will, and run the plays? That's what they're looking for. They don't want to come in and have to then figure everything out from scratch. 
I know my son, both my sons are Eagle Scouts. And when they did their Eagle Scout project, one of the overriding rules to the way they built it was you have to write it as a business plan and write it in such a way that anybody else could pick it up and they could duplicate what you've done. Like they could make it look almost exactly the same way. And that is exactly what we're doing here. We're writing and documenting and articulating and videoing all the things in your business that somebody else would need to be able to serve the client and make the sale the same way. One other thing, does the company have a great brand reputation? If you are smack down on Google and everywhere else, right? And you're getting all these horrible um, reviews, that's not going to be that. I'm going to reduce the price for what I would pay for a company like that. They want to know, do you have a client list? Will the client list stay? How happy are your employees? Will they work through a transition? Will they stay? Um, has the company been separated? Okay, I'm going to go really slow on this one. Has the company identity been separated enough from the owner of the company to survive? Mm, that's has a big the identity one. of the company been separated from the identity of the owner so that it could survive without it. If not, that means the owner is too integral to the success. If the owner is too integral to the success, you cannot sell that company. And so you have to make the decision. This is why I said begin from the beginning um, of starting the company of what can you do? One of the ways to do that is to build these processes and to write these things down. Then you can separate and somebody else can do it. That's why as we grow the business, it becomes more about the team solution. Like your company, Kate, you are not the only employee. You're not like a one girl madhouse, right? I mean, you're great, but you have other people mm -hmm. that support you. So yes, thankfully, <laughs> right? And so what happens is over time, we want them to look at the brand, Kate, the socialite, not just Kate. We want them to look at the brand of what you're doing as an awesome solution, not just you, so that they're willing to work with other people in the company, recognizing that it's a joint effort. If not, and that owner walks away, nobody wants to work with a company. So we have to be very clear on how we build that and do that. And it is hard from the beginning. The next one is, are there assets that can be transferred? These are hard and soft assets. So is there a website? Are there books? Are there samples? Or is there a phone number? Is there a logo? What about trademarks? All of those things become sellable assets of the company. So I know that's a lot, but it's really about, you can see being very intentional about what we're building to ask yourself, would I be willing to buy this from somebody else? And what would make it viable, if you will? Yeah, oh, it's so much to think about. And I can see why you say you've got to start this as soon as possible. Like we all should have started yesterday on this. And when people are trying to figure out like, okay, well, where do I get started? Do you think that they should be focusing on the processes before they start outsourcing or building their team? Or do you think they should build the team and then start working on those processes and systems? Okay. So if I were just talking generically, I would say build your process mm -hmm. or build as many of the processes as you can. A couple of things that come into scaling the business, growing the business, and selling the business. Number one, we want to exhaust technology as much as we can, just to be honest, before we start hiring a bunch of people, simply because work can go up and down and you can usually handle technology without, we don't want to get into this hire and fire situation, right? Bringing people on and laying people off. So the more that we have processes written and more that we can leverage technology before we start leveraging human resources, the better off we're going to be. 
The second thing I would tell you though, is some cases it may be better to hire somebody and let them help you build the process if you don't know how. And so that really is an individual kind of conversation to have. So both work, but I will say this, if you have a whole design process and you need help with it, it is not a great idea to go higher if that process has not been well-defined because you'll have a hard time onboarding that person, setting expectations for that person, delegating to them because everything's so nebulous. So the more that you can document, the better off you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh my goodness. So systems, systems, systems for the win here. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not exactly just, hard to do either. It's just if you exactly. sit down and do it. So, so let me let me just touch on that one quick second. This seems to stop people. They throw up the barrier and they're like, I'm tired of all of you people talking about systems and telling me I need to document. I want to tell you, this doesn't have to be down to the nth degree, right? What I would love for it to see is here are the main functions of the company. Here are the main things we do within those functions. Here are the indicators that we look at. And here are the main um, tasks that go along with that. So you can start by really high level bullet pointing. Do it for the next thing in front of you. So don't try to write some process for something you haven't done in six months. Document it while you're going. It may be a little bit slower that time. But remember, that then becomes significant work that reduces your workload later. And so if you can just kind of document that next thing in front of you. The other thing is use technology, use Zoom, use Loom, use some of these video capturing technologies. You can sometimes show things faster than you can write them. So if you just turn on the screen capture and show it, you can teach so much more in some of those little micro movements or choices and decisions like click here, click here, click here. So I have to write that out would take forever. And I think that's what stunts us from documenting processes is feeling like we've got to put every tiny detail, turn left, go three steps, turn right, go one step. And we really don't have to go that detail. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's good to know. And I want to highlight for everybody that you said Zoom and Loom. And Loom is something that I use all the time for my team. It's so awesome. And it's free, which is even better. It's L-O-O-M.com. It lets you capture your screen. You can show your face in a little bubble if you want to. I usually don't because I'm not wearing makeup half the time, And <laughs> but whatever. So, but yeah, that's a great way to capture processes. And to that point, it means that if you've got this system in place, you've got your videos and your templates and your whatnot, If you have to lose a team member, it's very easy to onboard the next one and they can basically train themselves, which means it's less time that we as business owners have to go through that process. We don't have to do any hand-folding because hopefully we've hired someone who's a self-starter and can just watch the videos and get it done. And that's exactly why you can see if we are building this from the beginning to support the business while it's existing and growing, then it actually supports the business and the sale. Um, One other thing I would say about all these processes and documents and things that we're doing, and this is really important, it's not enough to do them, we have to organize them, Mm -hmm. which means go into either like a Google or OneNote or Evernote, whatever you're using, Dropbox for your online storage, and you need to have an organizational structure, like you could organize it, zero one is HR, zero two is marketing, zero three is finance, whatever it is you do, however your brain works, so that you have a process for where the documents live and how they're put in there. That's going to help you. It helps any new team members you bring on and it helps somebody who's looking to sell because it's like flipping through a book with tabs that tell us where to go or where to start our hunt to find it. 
But saving all these things in a scattered way all over your computer or in the cloud is not as helpful as it really needs to be. You want this to look almost plug and play. So seriously think about if you had bought a business, what do you wish somebody would have handed and given to you? And then go ahead and be preparing that for the next person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. So if somebody has the people, the profits and the process all in place, what's the next step of selling a company? I mean, I know we could talk about valuation and that would be a very long conversation, but can you give us like a bird's eye view of what is the next step until that day that we're actually selling a business? I mean, does someone write you a check? Like, like what on earth? Like the concept is so foreign. Yeah. Right. So I I think, you know, let's say that we've been doing all of this along. We have the business structure. We have it set up properly. We make sure there are no liens against it. We paid our taxes. Like we have the company in a really great sellable position. And now we're saying, I want to go sell it. So then what do you do? The first thing is being very clear about what it is you have to sell. So again, clear on the assets, clear on everything that kind of goes in the package. You know, it'd be like selling a house and saying, but you don't get the garage. You can't do that. You got to sell the whole thing. Right. So think about what that is and be able to document all the things that come with the business. The second thing is creating a timeline for starting and ending the process. So have in mind, and it's not something we're holding to, you know, that I'm going to sell it in 35 days, but give yourself time to sell it. Create an exit strategy for yourself and an onboarding strategy for the new owner. A lot of times in corporate environments, sometimes there's a two-year overlap based on what it is and what, what we have to do. It may be that if you wanted to do an employee purchase plan, right? So your employees want to purchase the firm. That might be a longer drawn out process than if you were just selling it to a new owner. So start thinking about how long do I want to stay in? What does the transition period look like? How quickly do I want to get out and get them back in? Then I would start doing some valuations and market comparisons so you can set a price. And this is a price that you're going to, I, I, I always go in and think about it. What is my lowest level and where do I want to start negotiating? Because there's usually a back and forth here. So you don't always want to go in with the lowest number unless we call it a fire sale and you're trying to get out fast. But normally that's not what you do, but you do need to know how low can you go to sell this company. And so you go in and start negotiating, um, again, knowing that low number. If you are in a partnership, and I have worked with multiples over the last few years, if you're in a partnership, make sure that the operating agreement followed for the sales process and the valuation. I love to suggest in many times those operating agreements already have a plan in place for how you're going to dissolve or sell the company or buy out a member. And so the more you can do in that little bean up for the business and for the partnership, the better off you're going to be. So just go back and follow any organizational um, aspects of the business that you have to make sure that you're staying clear in that regard. And I would go through and interview buyers. I'd let people know that it's for sale. There's also brokers out there that can help you do that. Certainly talking to your staff, if appropriate, sometimes they want to buy it and they want to do it. Then you just go through the negotiation, sign the deal and start going through the onboarding strategy. So what if, you were talking, it brought up a really important question. What if you have a business partner who doesn't want to move on? And I mean, then they would be responsible for buying you out so you can be free of it, correct? Well, yes, that's definitely one of the options. So I've worked with numerous firms over the last couple of years, like numerous, 
where we've done a couple of different things. We have dissolved a couple of the firms. We've done some buyouts of the firms. So it really comes down to being, again, go back to the operating agreement. If you are in a partnership right now with no operating agreement, before you even think about doing anything, I would say pump the brakes and go create an operating agreement from this point forward. It will serve you well when you go to get out of the company or sell the company or, or whatever your end game and, and exit strategy might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's super important, Kate, for this to be a really tight conversation, like an ongoing conversation. And, and it's nothing wrong with saying, look, my goals and dreams have shifted and I want out or I don't want out or I want to retire and I'm done and I'm not. If, if there's nothing wrong. We don't have to stay on the same path all the time. Um, but have those conversations, be very open and honest. And then, you know, the process is very similar. We are going to start getting valuations. We're going to talk about an exit strategy. We're going to talk about, do I need to onboard somebody else? Are we going to rebrand? Are we keeping the name? You know, what if it's a joint name, the Michelle and Kate company? Or am I going to keep it the Michelle and Kate company? <laughs> or are we going to go down to, you know, it's just Kate company? You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of other things. And it's the longer you've been in business, I would say the more that you're probably your personal life and your business life have kind of intermingled through all that. And it it's pulling apart. And I can tell you having been in a partnership with multiple people and having sold that company, and I adore and I'm still friends with all of them and work with some of them in some capacities. Even getting out of something with great friends, with an operating agreement that we followed as closely to the letter as we could, it still was painful because these are people that you've been with all the time and you're now not with them. So the process was then as painful as pulling apart our lives from that day-to-day interaction. And so I think we have to be very cognizant of that and we have to allow space in our mind. This is true for any of us. This is a transition. When you go to sell or retire, it's a transition. And I want us all to remember that and to give ourselves some grace for that journey, because it's going to be exciting in some cases and sad in other cases. So the emotions, when I work with companies that are going through this, the emotions go up and down and up and down and up and down. And so being aware of it going in helps you kind of manage it and not be taken aback when it happens. But if everybody can work out the details in advance in a partnership in the operating agreement, it will reduce so much stickiness at the end because it's kind of like a business divorce. You know, it might be an amicable divorce, but you were divorcing, you were separating assets, you're separating your lives, you're separating your journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that paints a perfect picture of why it would be emotional. And when we mix emotion and business as is unavoidable, yeah, it's messy. I would assume that there's a lot of gray areas in there. And also, like if I were going through this right now, I would want somebody on my team to, well, not on my team, but somebody like you to come in and be like the mediator, the the marriage counselor of the business, you know, as we're going through all of this. So how do you come in and work with businesses, not just businesses that are ready to, let's say, break up, but just businesses that are like, okay, I want to get my crap together now. I want those three Ps in place. I want to actually feel legitimate in every in every sense of that word. Where do you start with them or how do they get started with you? Great question. So my, again, I'm going to go back to my whole goal with interior designers, workroom staters is to help them build a business that is solid, that is sustainable, and that is financially solvent, that pays them well. Then what they choose to do with it, you know, they have options. It's kind of like if you think about 
when you're getting ready to go to college, if you've not taken enough humanities courses or you've not taken enough labs with your science classes, there are certain colleges you can't even apply to, right? But if you take the, the basic load that every college needs and wants for entry, then you have more options. That's what I do with businesses. I help you build the firm foundations, get everything squared away through the aim with intent, which is again, people process profits and being very intentional about what you're building as opposed to just being so excited about the next design, be as excited about the business that you're building. Like I don't build designers, I build businesses, Kate. And I think that's a, a differentiator there, right? I'm not teaching somebody how to be a better designer. I'm teaching people how to be a better business owner because what that does is opens up the world of possibility for now, what do I want to do with this business? Mm -hmm. And so um, the beautiful thing is, especially if I'm working with a partnership, it's giving them a safe space. I mean, there is some counseling that goes on, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but it's giving them a safe space to each kind of voice what they want, where they want to go and come together um, to be able to talk it out and to, and to merge so that we can try to create this combined goal and vision. And then recognizing with honesty and with care when the combined vision no longer satisfies both. And then I help them start working through one piece. I call it peeling the onion. Okay, we're going to peel the onion. We're going to go one piece at a time, one step at a time, so that we know what we're going to do. The process works the same whether you are in business as an individual or if you're in business with others. Mm -hmm. it, but it's hard because yeah. of the emotion to peel those layers back or it feels too weighty or you peel them back and you don't know what to do with them next. So I'm there to help them not only peel the layers back, but look at them in context and then make a decision about what are we going to do with that. Mm -hmm. I look at this as it's adult work. You know, it we is. all have to we have to put on our, our big girl undies. <laughs> I, I say at this point, we're putting on spanks. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it's like, all right, we got to suit up. We got to do this. We have to have the hard conversations. And that's not a bad thing. Like just the other day, I was talking to one of my design clients and I was comparing something in their business to being in labor. And I think that's still fresh in my mind because I had a baby a year ago. But right. I was like, you know how it's just like, you get to the point where you think, I can't take this anymore. Like, I, this was a terrible idea. I am never doing mm -hmm. this again. And then all of a sudden it's over. And right. it's like, okay, well, there's a lot of things in business that are just like that. And once we get to the other side of it, it is so much better than had we stayed on the opposite side, wondering what on earth we were missing out on. Because to your point, building a business instead of just, quote unquote, just being a designer or just being a stager, it does open up a whole universe of possibilities because we are multifaceted beings and we can do more than one thing. We can have a multi-passionate career, as Marie Forleo would say. So I love that you said that. And if someone listening is like, okay, I, I've got this fire lit under me. I need to talk to Michelle. What way can they do that? How can they connect with you? So the easiest way to connect with me is probably going to be on my website, which is scarletthreadconsulting.com. But I do hang out on Instagram at Scarlet Thread ATL, and I'm on Facebook at Scarlet Thread Consulting. I want to make one comment just before we go. And uh, by the way, on my website, I've got all kinds of freebies and downloads and things like that to help you work on your business. One of the things that I thought about, Kate, when you mentioned about how this is like birthing pains and having the baby and all that, I also, and I agree with that, I also think that it's very much like we build muscles and we're working and I work with clients to build their business muscles. And so when you come in, that muscle might feel kind of weak in some areas. 
this morning I went to Pilates and they had us doing tricep dips, right? So I got this box and I'm trying to put my body weight up and down. The first time she had us do it, my arms were shaking and I was like, oh my goodness, we only did six. Then she's like, we've got two more reps. <laughs> second <laughs> around. So we did it the second time, but by the third time I did it strong. And it was waking up my muscles, showing them what we were going to do, and then allowing them to do the work. And so that's what we're doing here. That's what you do in your group program. That's what I'm doing is I'm going to show you how to strengthen, in your case, your marketing muscle. I'm showing you how to strengthen the business muscle. And so it may seem difficult those first couple of times, but the second time you go to do it, it becomes rote. It becomes like, I got it. I understand. Mm-hmm. Now let me move on to the next thing and the next thing. And we all have to kind of flex those muscles where we are, but it's never too late to start. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And to everybody listening, just so you guys know, I have coached with Michelle personally. So I'm not just having her on the show because, you know, I've seen her from afar, but I've actually applied her principles to my own business and not ironically, that ended up being my most profitable year in business. You know, like to date when I worked with you, Michelle. So I just wanted oh, to say you. that. You did it, a lot of hard work. That <laughs> yes. Because it, we were flexing those business muscles, right? We don't yeah. know what we don't know. Exactly. Um, and to your point, Kate, I have my own business coach for mm-hmm. the same reason, because I've had a business coach this entire time, kind of taking my own medicine, simply because I don't see what I don't see. I need that extra pair of eyes to give me balance to what I'm feeling in my business. And so that's why I highly recommend it. Yeah. And it's cool too, because what you do and what you learn through coaching, at least like what I've learned from you, Michelle, is that everything is cumulative and it just builds and builds and builds. So from that first year where I was coaching with you, it just like launched me into this new level. And I was just like, whoa. I mean, not only did I feel more confident, but I really knew what I was doing. And right. I, before I was just kind of floundering, wandering around, like with a blindfold on, <laughs> wondering why I kept tripping over things. And, <laughs> and after that point, that was like, you know, you're looking at the numbers year over year over year. And it's like, wow, how did I get here? And I know that just working with, in a marketing capacity, working with some of your other clients, I know that that success story is not isolated to just me by any means. So to everybody listening, Michelle's your lady. I mean, this is going to change Uh, your life, not just your business. So thank you very much for coming back on the Kate Show today, Michelle. You're so welcome. And thank you for opening up this particular conversation. I think it's one that we need to have more often so that we don't feel like our only out is to turn off the lights. Not to say that that's bad. If that's what we want, then absolutely we can do that. But I think there are a lot of people that might want something different. So I thank you for the platform to even be able to talk about it today. Oh, absolutely. All right, guys, if you want to work with Michelle, or if you want to take advantage of the many freebies that she offers, you can head over to skeletsideconsulting.com. The links will also be in the show notes, and you can also go listen to her podcast, Profit is a Choice. I highly recommend it. There's just so much knowledge you can get from podcasts these days. So we'll see you again next time, guys. Until then, keep your marketing simple, your message clear, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Visit us at thekateshowpodcast.com where we empower home professionals with marketing confidence.